in the studio, Neil. Back in the studio. Welcome back. Welcome. You Episode were... nine. Nine or ten. No, we have to have <laughs> confidence now. It's nine. No, I, I don't think it's nine, but we'll say episode nine. Okay. You're back from Montreal. I'm back from Montreal. Bienvenue. Merci. I, don't, I, I spoke wow. no French the whole Didn't time I was there. Up the culture. No, not at all. What were you doing there? Uh, <laughs> uh, let me just go through my head what I can say. No, uh, no, I was just going down. There was an amazing flight sale on. Yeah. $50 to go to Montreal. It cost me more to get to the airport to get on my flight. Wow. Jeepers. That is then, pretty awesome. Yeah. So $50 each way. Amazing. It was Flair Airlines. Shout out. Sponsor me. Give me free $50 flights. Heard mixed results about <laughs> Flair, but okay. Other than the fact that they're super late every single time, which is kind of nice because you show up to the airport, you just know why you show up at the airport late. And Neil is often late. This is I, something that people can't appreciate, but <laughs> Neil's often late. Not for house showing. Yeah, not for showing. Not for clients. Everything else? Just for me, just for me and poor Tanner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that worked out great. Anyways, it was a good time. It was interesting, though. Uh, like I was just telling you, uh, we were sitting there chatting with some people, mm-hmm. and there was a few people from Calgary, and I was like, "Like, what brought you to Montreal?" I found it especially odd, just because Calgary is quite like very west, mm-hmm. proper west, and they came out here. Um, anyways, she was like, "Well, I came, and the rents were cheap," and I was like, "So interesting." You said, yeah. "Do you want to be on a podcast?" Yeah, I was like, "Really." Uh, but worst pickup line ever. Yeah. Girl, want to be on a podcast? <laughs> she never spoke to me again. Um, but yeah, no. So she said the rents are cheap and she decided to stay and like, and then I was kind of looking into it and yeah, the rents are really affordable in Montreal. Actually homes in general are, are reasonably affordable. And I, my thing when I drove around is there are buildings everywhere and there's new buildings going up constantly. Um, so what constitutes affordable? Did you get any numbers from her? Like where she's staying and what she's paying? Yeah. So she was, I think, paying, but she's downtown. Um, but she had like a nice one bedroom plus den for around 1200 bucks. Wow. That is good. And it's kind of a character style property. I didn't get any photos or anything. Um, but yeah, it was, it's like really reasonable. It's kind of almost where Halifax was about <laughs> It's hard to ask ago. a girl that you just met at Bark. Can I have pictures of your apartment? Yeah. Please? Can I have pictures of your apartment? Maybe we <laughs> can go there right now and just take a look. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, gee, um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was just interesting to hear. And I really think it's the fact that they have so much development and they, they have, not only is it like, I'll give them credit. They don't have a ton of necessarily massive 90 story buildings. They do have quite a few big ones, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of like, Four story, like totally like, infill, you know, scale. I, I noticed that as well when I was there. I mean, I wasn't looking specifically at it, but it is a city that blends history and streetscape with infilling units. Yeah, and I actually dug into it just a little bit, kind of like thinking about it. And uh, I came across some stuff I should have brought it with me, but there were some guys saying like the single family home lifestyle is actually the reason that this is why things have gotten to be like this. Because you take 100,000 acres and now you're only going to get 800 houses on it, mm-hmm. right? And they won't let you build apartment buildings here. And it causes this issue where you don't have all the housing, where they used to just build apartment buildings. That's what it was. I was looking at, um, I said, Vienna, we're going to talk about this another day, but there was Vienna does these massive sprawling housing complexes and they have a really good handle on their affordable housing. And they said, the thing is, we don't allow developers to come in here and do these massive single family home neighborhoods because right. they screw up the ratios so, so, so bad. You need apartment buildings. That's another thing I'd be curious to hear about some of these cities where people reference, oh, it's affordable here and there's this and there's that. How far do they drive before they hit well and septic? Yeah. Because here in Halifax, you don't drive very far. 12 minutes. Like we're sitting <laughs> right now in, in Dartmouth, less than 12 minutes and you're at well and septic, oh, which means yeah. you're, you're putting one home for every acre. 
Yeah. For every acre. Yeah. You could put four homes there conservatively, yeah. four homes. Or like um, 50 units. Yeah. Or if you were doing even side, but like there's something to be said for that uh, as one of the reasons. We've spoken about a, a few reasons. But certainly if we could expand municipal services, it would open up some of these areas. And that's another thing that no one's talking about because that's a major expense. Uh, and heaven knows our water fees are, are very, very high here. We got trolled by some people online saying, that's ridiculous. There's no way a water permit costs $3,000 for a new unit. That's absurd. Good news and of course, we got receipts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're super petty. So we definitely screenshotted it and sent it to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that just speaks to that point. I 100%. guarantee you in, in Montreal, if you drive 12 minutes, you're not hitting well in septic 44,000 no. square foot lots. No. And right. and they, they built the city out like that. Like they, they allowed for the density. And again, I, I agree. Like they didn't necessarily do 80-story buildings because that's not necessarily going to help. But they allowed for that density of like three, four stories consistently going all the way out. And they built it along. And it allows for that. And then Very they built cool. the transit system to, to fit it. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's a big thing as well. I mean, I'm doing a project uh, in Truro that we're just – we're virtually at, at the finish line for the approval. And part of the challenge there is they wanted in the downtown core, they wanted a minimum of one and a half parking spots per unit. Not one, one and a half, because that's down from what they really kind of wanted, which was two. That's Can you imagine a situation? And their, but their rationale was we don't have public transit here. So because we don't have public transit, we can't encourage this lifestyle that other areas are looking at. So as a result, we have to build a way more expensive building, have multiple levels levels of underground parking, and it just becomes not feasible and not affordable. So it's interesting how transit and municipal services and all of these things tie in very closely to trying to make a city affordable. And in our particular area, we're behind and and we're – in bad shape on, on some of those fronts. We are. It sounds like there's a lot of money set aside though to do some stuff. So hopefully it actually comes comes through. Well, speaking of that of that money, Tanner, do you have that CBC? I want to give a shout out to CBC. Thanks for watching, obviously. They didn't uh, give us a shout out. They didn't give us a shout out, but they're definitely checking out our content. Um, this was an article, the headline there, if you can't see it or if you're listening, Ottawa is lending billions to developers. The result, $1,500 quote unquote affordable rents. And this spoke to, or this touched on exactly what we spoke about in a previous uh, podcast that was picked up on TikTok, got a lot of traction, that some of these programs through CMHC, yes, they serve a need, but it's certainly not um, affordable housing that they're providing. And we mentioned this when Acorn was also protesting another development that was citing fourteen dollars to $1,700, quote unquote, affordable um, rents. Yeah. No, it was it was just funny. The timing it came out about a week after. Oh my gosh! They our we had, we went over this exact sure. thing, got our most traction ever. Uh, they could have just called, and then this came out, and they're they're they make all of their um, examples in New Brunswick. Yeah, yeah. They could have just called. <laughs> it's just a call. I just call CBC. We could have them on here. Uh, yeah, get CBC on the phone. Is Peter Whoever. Mansbridge retired? I think bring him out of retirement. Bring That's him a on. Good name drop. Peter Mansbridge, like that guy. What else is new? Election. You checked that last night. Yeah. Oh my gosh, poor Neil. That's a big sigh. You okay? I, I'm not going to make any comments. Uh, I'm just saying the Bill of Rights is coming. The Bill of Rights. I can't wait to see my Bill of Rights. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I did. It was it was a bit of a surprise. I I kind of felt in the last few months that the Conservatives had gained some traction. I, I thought so too. Just like from the general sentiment from people, like uh, even just going out and having like a couple drinks with people that I would have assumed to be on a different stance, mm-hmm. and then the, kind of what they verbalized made me kind of think like, oh. There might be uh, a bit of a switch here. Well, what's interesting but, is is the conservatives did gain traction in Atlantic Canada. 
So yeah. some of that is regional bias, what we noticed going on here. True. I think you were right. You were sensing that, and, and it uh, came to fruition. Tanner, do you have those figures up there? Um, but it didn't, it didn't happen kind of uh, nationwide as maybe we thought. So no. there are the results. One thing that I find is always really interesting is the popular vote. Yeah. Right? And this is a, a topic that we, you know, people get very sensitive about this because everyone yeah. points to the popular vote, you know, when Trump lost the popular vote but won the election, it was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and here's a case. Flip. Where, who won the popular vote? The conservatives won the popular vote, mm -hmm. but weren't even close to hitting a minority. Like, not even close. Um, the liberals, almost a dead heat, though, for popular vote, and they ended up with a minority at 148 uh, seats. The Bloc Québécois only had 7 or 8% almost of the popular vote and got 32 seats. Meanwhile, the NDP got 17. They got more than double the vote share and got how many seats? I mean, two-thirds of the seats. Even if you look at the People's Party, if I'm the People's Party, we got 5% of the votes. We got more than the Green and almost as much as the Bloc Québécois and got no seats to show for it. Yeah. So, listen, no system is per perfect and every party talks about electoral reform until they win an election, and then you never hear about it again. Yeah. I, yeah. You seem like you want to say something, Neil. Come nah, on, I'm just, it's, the filter's on a little bit, but. Get it off your chest, buddy. No, it's, yeah. I, I'm just surprised at how it all panned out. I'm with you, too. The popular vote is, is a funny thing, um, but I guess that's part of the game, almost. Like, it, politics is a bit of a game, and, and you got to know how to how to get your seats and things. Yeah, what? Okay, you know what I will say? That was really weird, uh, and I don't, I guess for Dartmouth, the conservative person was pushed out because they, what was it? Um, oh, sexual assault allegation two weeks prior. Sexual assault allegation two weeks prior. No one was put into that place. So on those ballots, there was no option for conservative. Oh, interesting. So if you wanted to vote conservative. Was it, that was Dartmouth Cole Harbor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, th um, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I mean, was a Darren thing. Fisher was going to win that in a walk and sit there and cut ribbons for the next four years again. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, and I figured, I just, I was, I thought for sure, like, I was like, they will always put someone there to at least receive those votes. Yeah, 100%. That's I was like, they, they will elect a dog if they need to, to, like, capture votes. But I didn't. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like being an NDP supporter and being like, we got almost one fifth of the vote share. In fairness, just to, you know, differing opinions aside, that's an unfair representation for how much of a voice the NDP party has in, yeah. in popular discourse and in, in political thought in general belief system of the people I know. And they hit 20% almost, they hit 17 and a half percent and they have less seats than, than the block. Um, which I understand we need yeah. a strong, um, Francophone representation, but there's, this is just such a messed up system. It's not as bad as the electoral college in, in the States or anything like that. I'm not saying anything that, and, um, but it is pretty interesting to see these, and I can understand frustration from a few different groups. And I can't imagine right now the liberals are beating the drum of electoral reform right now because well, I think no. they did before Trudeau first got elected. Yes. Whatever that is, eight years ago or so. Probably ten years help ago, so good right now. Probably. Uh, it's like, we'll just keep this how it is. Uh, yeah. But we now are going to have a liberal government still. Things are so. the same. We only spent 600 mil. Totally. Can we get that graphic, the before and after? Look at that. Wow. What a shift. Huge shift. $600 million. Look at the sick graphic we have now. 600 million bucks. Think of all the affordable units. 
Yeah, or or clean drinking water, maybe. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to not see this. It's hard to see this and not be a little bit disillusioned. And they talk about wanting to get voter engagement and all these things. Like yeah, six hundred dollars to get clarity the exact for somebody same watching to understand. This is like the seats prior. And the seats post. <laughs> For people who can't read a bar graph. Yeah. Yes. But that's fair. Well, I mean, there's not a ton yeah. of it written up on there right now. It just kind of shows them. And the fact that they're the same effectively is showing you that really nothing has changed. So we had this whole election and we are in the exact same spot we were two years ago. Yeah. Subtract $600 million. Yeah. I think um, I think the Green lost a seat. The <laughs> NDP gained maybe one seat. The Liberals maybe gained one or two. The Conservatives lost a couple. Did the Bloc get any seats outside of Quebec? No. Or ridings outside of Quebec, sorry? No. No. I thought no, like New Brunswick potentially. No. No? No. Atlantic Canada was was pretty pretty well split Liberals and Conservatives I, last I checked. But anyway, so yeah. the Liberals have their mandate. We yep. talked about that in a previous episode. There's going to be a lot of spending. The question, as we saw in that previous headline, is what is it going to to be spent on. And as someone who wants some of that money to do these mid-range affordable, I think they need to change the name. Don't call those affordable units. Yeah, It's going to enrage people to call a $1,600 to $1,700 unit. In that article, they touch on the fact that in that area of New Brunswick, the average rent is $800 or $900. And these units are yeah. being classified as affordable at about $1,500. Bucks. Like, oh, the average rent last year was $880. <laughs> Right. So they need to do some branding change. This has to be called something like mid-level affordable new construction, something like that. Yeah. Don't call it affordable. Yeah, because that $880 apartment's not going to be at anything close to the $1,500 apartment. No. It's a very – Nice looking are, building though. Nice, nice looking building. Whoever built I was thinking that. And good beautiful. on them. And, and as we talked about before, it does serve a need. It does. And it's just you're comparing apples to oranges here to make a point in the news. That's all this is. Yeah. Um, but I think it does speak to the fact that if they just write checks for the next four years, it's not going to change anything, no. anything, anything, anything. If you're listening to this and concerned about rent under $1,100 a month, nothing in the liberal spending budget is going to affect that one iota. It'll move the needle the teeniest little bit. It's not going to do anything en masse because it's going to be stuff like that. So, I'm doing a case study on the one in Vienna. I'm going to have that for us next time. Cool. It's cool. very neat. Good. Nice. What else is new? Anything? Nothing too crazy at this point. You know, it's only, uh, I'm just dealing with some other stuff that I still can't talk about. Okay. That's still ongoing. Yeah. I found ways to finance the purchase of the 19 unit. Hey-o. So look at that. Financing's achieved. That was good. Uh, and the 18 that was touch and go. So that was, everything was touch and go. So that's all been sorted out. Good. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's about it. Didn't have anything too eventful. Uh, I think I discussed in my last one, I had a little slip and fall suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's going through the steps. Interesting. Uh, I meant to call my insurance guy like the moment I walked out of here and and check in that. I still got to do that. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't want to have that happen at my place. Yeah. It uh, it doesn't sound like to me too much, but at the end of the day, it still kind of goes as a claim and it goes through all the steps. Um, So. And I can't imagine your premium is going to stay the same. I mean, how much did premiums jack up this last year? Like 25%? Yeah. I was getting like these modest premium increases of $400 for the year and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a client who's in, do it, just bought a triplex. 5K. What? He already owns a bunch of real estate, and so he's under commercial policy, and it was 5K to add it on. $5,000 property insurance for a three-unit building. Yeah. 
It's a fully renovated place in South End, so it's worth whatever, a million six or something. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it's because of replacement cost. Yeah. Holy man. Yeah. That's, six, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's an absurd amount of money. <laughs> and that's why the rent is so high. <laughs> 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 well, no, but we, we say that in jest, but come yeah. on, man. So how much I, is he paying a month in insurance alone per unit? Uh, four hundred uh, per unit, one hundred thirty-five bucks. Yeah, one hundred fifty bucks almost per unit just in insurance. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help the cause. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Property so. tax fifteen thousand dollars. Yep. So that that's twenty grand there on three units. So that's yeah. seven thousand a year. So that's six hundred bucks a month on each unit in pure like expenses that you won't even think about looking at. Like yeah. it's saying nothing for maintenance. Mm-mm. Right, saying nothing for the mortgage payment that's being made. No, the Same. depreciation, the interest, the nothing. Yeah. Water. Maybe you need to do another whiteboard. I might have to do another <laughs> whiteboard. I don't know if I can handle the heat, but I, <laughs> I, I might. Neil's <laughs> whiteboard video is great. Like, how is that not a meme? It's, I look scared. You look terrified. And I think, you know what, based on the comments, I think rightfully I so, I should be scared. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it got some good traction. Got some good traction online. But. So, transitioning, what happened in your week? In my week, um, so I am going to go forward with the eight-unit uh, purchase, which is good. So, working through the due diligence on that. Good depends um, how you look at it. Yeah, Neil, it was anti that purchase. Um, but I think it's going to be a good side project to while I'm trying to get these big, bigger things built. Um, actually, had a really interesting conversation with one of the owners who has been doing this for a long time, and his family has a lot of units. And, and we had a good chat. It's always fun meeting people, especially if they're a little more experienced, a little bit further along in their journey, and, and talking to them about ideas. I mean, we talked about Truro. We talked about what I was going to do to that place and um, his experiences in the industry. It's really Really cool. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and the land play, that guy that's ghosting me, he's just continuing to to ghost me. So, But it is funny. You know how it when it rains, it pours, and those opportunities both came at once, and I was kind of like, oh, man. It's I always really how it happens. I've got another one. And the only reason is there's this guy that I've been keeping in touch with for so long, and it occurred to me when I was buying this other property, it's like, oh, no, this will be the time he's going to call me. And he right, did. he's gonna call me. No, he didn't. But I, oh. I called him preemptively, oh. and I told him like, "Listen, here's the deal. I'm thinking of buying this. I just don't want you to call me next week and say you want to sell me yours because I might be hemmed up here." But that conversation actually led somewhere where we're gonna meet and we're gonna sketch out a plan uh, for me to purchase that. It's not a lot of units, but it's a killer location, um, and it, I think we can work out a deal for, How many for units? down the road. Twelve, Neil. Neil's is really hard on me because like if forty unit tr- units don't grow on trees. Neil doesn't want anything under, apparently under 18, <laughs> 18 or 19. Neil feels all high and mighty. 12 units, Neil's like, get away from me. Yeah. You disgust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. I'm uh, good. I'm happy for you, though. Yeah, it is going to be good. In the long run, it'll be good. Um, yeah. Just get your shit in so you can build your new buildings. Yeah. And again, I feel like this is, these are side projects, uh, just building equity, um, keeping guys at work and keeping the ball rolling while some of these other things happen. I've got the cash. It's a different thing when you're building with a arm's length general contractor. I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm not contracting. I'm just going to be standing there looking at a hole in the ground, and that's it. So I think I can run one of these projects on the side where I've got all the capital kind of devoted as it is. Neil, stop making your dumb smirky face at me. (laughs) Anyway, whatever, whatever. Um, Just just a... Casual, yeah, it's $20 million. It's, I, 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 think got, I, I think I can run on the side. It's no big deal. No, the <laughs> other one is the one I'm running on the side. Um, I'm just so 
We're going to talk about cap rates today. Are we? I would like to do that. Okay. I've got this beautiful whiteboard. Speaking of whiteboards, I think I've got to lean in closer to it. I don't know how these camera frames are going to look. Um, what is a cap rate, Neil? Let's start there. Everyone uh, talks about cap rates. It's uh, Yeah. Well, I don't have the formalized definition, but it's a capitalization rate that is used to compare rental properties against each other. Okay. And it is using the net operating income. You mm-hmm. divide it by that cap rate to get a value or vice versa. You take your value or you, t- you take your operating income and divide it by what you're going to pay for the property and it gives you a cap. It's a nice subjective way to be able to compare rental properties against each other, especially based on areas, their renovation quality, potential yeah. for rent increases. Um, so it's kind of been – it's gained some traction because otherwise it's very difficult to be able to – to make comparisons because everything is a little bit different. They're all slightly nuanced. Yeah, and I find that when we're meeting with s- young or, or, or in investors that are starting out, either they haven't heard about cap rates yet or they learn it early on and that sort of takes them to one point and sometimes can be a hindrance because yeah. you know as well as I do, when some of these guys are selling properties, it's because they're underperforming mm-hmm. and they still want top dollar, but the mm-hmm. rents don't support it. Yeah. So some young investors, they run the numbers really quick they say, okay, here's my net operating income. Here's what the property is, is is being marketed for, the price. Oh, my gosh, it only yields such and such a cap rate. And they don't want to go forward with the deal. Have you come yeah. across that? Oh, lots. Um, it, goes, it goes both ways. Uh, and I think cap rates lose their effectiveness the smaller and smaller, the, basically the portfolio, 100%. the property, whatever it may be. And we've kind of touched on this, but like really small places are more of a comparable base thing mm-hmm. uh, versus then as you get into bigger ones. Cap rates really have their best application when like REITs and those guys are trading properties of like, okay, yep. we're trading 350 units. It allows you to give a very nice broad form. Okay, we're making 3.7%. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you start to shrink that unit count, it starts to lose its its ability to be applicable because – it's just there's not enough numbers and enough data there to, to create a, a strong cap rate. Yeah, we talked about this in a previous episode where there's a couple ways to approach market value of a property and unit counts under, say, six doors. They typically just look at the neighborhood. How comparable. nice is it? How are the other ones down the road? That's the comparable approach. As you get into what we sometimes call true multis, six units and above, commercial financing, then they look at it as a cash earning asset. And so you approach it from an income perspective. How much profit, how much net operating income are you making as uh, compared to the cost of the place? So with that said, I'm going to turn to this beautiful whiteboard here to give you guys a walkthrough of cap rates because wow. this is hyper, hyper important. So the easiest way to think of a cap rate is similar to a return on investment. And this is something that if you think back to probably junior high math, you did a little bit of return on investment. Essentially, that is how much profit do I make on what it costs me to buy that asset? Yes, Neil, you in the back. I'm just going to point out it's nothing to do with mortgages. Oh, gosh, no, nothing to do with mortgages. financing is specific to you or to the whoever's buying it or whoever owns it. And so, again, they remove that to make the cap rate, again, more applicable to everybody mm-hmm. as a more uniform setup. Because some people might be able to get financing, might pay cash. And yep. some people might be able to get financing at 1% or 6%. And so they made it, this is like a, a uniform way to look at the building as a whole, r- removing the financing. Then it's up to you to bring your own financing in. Yeah. So if you think of a stock and, and if you bought a stock for $100 and it returned you in the first year $7, you're return on investment is 7%. Cap rates are a similar idea, except replacing a couple of the terms. So 
If this is your return on investment formula, profit over your cost, your cap rate formula is your net operating income over the value of the property. Cost is value. If something costs something in the market, that is its value. So just to switch from terms you may have heard of before, return on investment equals profit over cost, we're switching for real estate purposes, cap rate equals net operating income over the value of the property. For example, if you saw a home or a, a multi-unit for sale and they advertised that this property made $50,000 a year and the price that they were asking was $1 million, that is a cap rate of 5%. Yes, Neil? Another question. What is an, an, net operating income? What makes that up? Okay, so net operating income, and you, you alluded to it a little bit there, is the gross income of the property. So that's all of your rents, whatever you're charging for parking, whatever you're charging for storage locker, whatever you're collecting laundry. out of the loonies and the laundry bin. Yeah, I dropped off $2,300 worth of loonies today, <laughs> literally in a bucket. Um, I rolled them there. Um, that is your gross income. And off of that, you subtract things like maintenance, utilities, insurance, property tax, cleaning, depreciation, property management, snow removal, garbage removal. Neil, am I missing any? You're not. Would you take depreciation off? Uh, no. No. But some people do in, 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 or as a bad debt. Or some, some people have that calculation in there. But you're right. I, I don't depreciate properties. It's, it's not the worst thing to consider with C-class. I was just running out of fingers. or <laughs> You're trying to fill them all? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a bad thing to consider in C-class properties. Unfortunately, when you see an advertised cap rate, it's not going to have depreciation on there. Oh, and if you're looking at someone's marketing package for a property and says, these are the expenses, I guarantee you they're low. I get, yeah, they're, I would say they're, they're a lie. They yeah. effectively have, have modified them. On the flip side, sometimes when you're doing a private deal and you get somebody who's not necessarily super concerned about stuff and they give you their expenses, they might also be high. <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of people that's like, oh, maintenance was whatever, 36000 and then like salaries and expenses, 44000 And I'm like, you're the only guy that owns this building. Well, maintenance is also a, a tricky thing too because is it a capital improvement that you're investing in the property or is it actual maintenance? Yeah. Right? And those things should be handled differently. For example, if you replace the roof and it costs you $40,000, you know, talk to your accountant about this, but it'd be hard to say that's a $40,000 um, expense on a net operating income statement because yeah. you're not going to make that expense every single year. So again, your net operating income is your gross income less all of those expenses. But as Neil rightly noted, your mortgage is not considered as one of those expenses. The reason being is the mortgage is independent to you. It is not something intrinsic or inherent to the building. And since everyone has different um, lending and, and, and might have a different mortgage product on the building, it doesn't make sense to include that in this calculation. Thoughts Agreed. so far, Neil? Very good. So imagine a situation where we've seen a property for sale, it's advertised for $1 million, and it makes $50,000 of net operating income per year. That yields a return on investment that is a 5% cap rate. Yeah. Neil likes that. That fact got Neil excited. So as the buyer, you may feel a certain way about that. Do I like paying a 5% cap rate? That's what I'm paying for this property, this million dollars based on a 5% cap rate. How do I feel about that in this particular area and for this condition of property? Yeah. So yeah, I would say the next thing that I would just say is, is again, I guess I'm not sure if you're going into that yet, but just the caps, what kind of determines what's a good cap rate per area and what, what those factors are? Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say that in a really good neighborhood, like what's the lowest cap rate for properly valued property that you're seeing out there? NHRM? Yeah, in our area. 
four, three and three quarters. Yeah. Seen wow, three ice. and three quarters. Eh? South end Holy now, mold. they're going 500 a door, three and three quarters. Yeah. So what Neil's alluding to there or talking about is a really, really high-end location. Yep. High-end property. High-end property. Um, no outstanding maintenance. Yeah, really good turnkey product or even new construction yeah. that you might see a trade at a lower cap rate. That means that either your income has come down or your price has gone up more often the latter. So you can imagine that this $50,000 on a $1 million property yields a 5% cap rate. But if the property costs $2 million, your cap rate would go down to 2.5%. And that typically with a low cap rate, that's when you're banking on appreciation. 100%. That's, that's what that is. That's why you see places like Ontario and BC traded very low cap rates because the idea is you might not necessarily make a ton of cash flow, but your property will appreciate. And that's so right. that's where you see your, your return on investment. Yeah. Now, alternatively, Neil, if you went into um, a, a newly developing area, a transitional area, a C-class building, what sort of cap rate would you be looking for? <laughs> I just, I felt targeted in that, but... No, not at all, man. Um, on, on the buy, so I'll be honest with you... Nowadays, I'm actually buying a lot of stuff at like three or two percent, and that. But the reason being is understanding that the I have a massive rent increase available to me. Yeah, and we'll get into that at, at a different level. But, but the, if you're buying an actual yeah. operating building in those areas, it used to be seven percent. Again, with Halifax's growth, now it's about six. Yeah. So the idea again is in a really sought after a location, you're going to get a less. Uh, you're going to get a lower cap rate which means you're, it's like buying a blue chip stock. If you buy something really strong that you know is going to be reliable and it's going to go up steadily over time and not give you any hassle, you might be happy with a 4% return. If it's a risky stock, you might want something like a 10% potential return. It's the same thing for cap rates. Yeah. In, the, in, this, in this lower neighborhood now, so you're getting a 6 or 7% cap, that means basically the reason being is you're kind of saying, I might not get as much appreciation, uh, and additionally, that additional cash flow might go towards some bad debt like maintenance mm-hmm. uh, and outstanding issues with the property. Yeah. It's funny. We're probably the only podcast that also has visu- visual aids. <laughs> so people are going to be listening to this and not seeing some of these things on this board. Obviously, we encourage you to check on YouTube. Always check on YouTube. And additionally, we will be having a website going up soon. And we're going to start breaking out a lot of this stuff. We're going to have free tools available to people. And we're going to have a cap rate calculator on there. Awesome. Uh, so it'll be very simple. You can plug in your numbers and it'll instantly spit out what you're making on your property. Perfect. And so here is just an ex- extension of that ba- basic math. So if cap rate equals net operating income over value, it stands to reason, therefore, the value is uh, equal to the net operating income over the cap rate. So all we've done is just reverse the math. So looking at this from the opposite approach, if you've got a $50,000, if you've got a property that's generating $50,000 of net operating income and you feel comfortable at a 5% cap, that means that property's worth a million dollars. So when a property is already for sale, they tell you what price they want, they tell you what income it has, and you do the math of, okay, that's a cap rate of this that they're offering me. Well, what if the person says, I don't know what it's worth? You tell me what you're willing to pay. Sometimes you'll say, well, I'm willing to pay a 5% cap rate. And they're going to say, well, I make $50,000 on this property. If you're willing to pay a 5% cap rate, that is $1 million of value. So you can see here this really basic formula works in two different directions, as all formulas do. Yeah. I was going to say, it's funny that you say that because I had one today. I was talking to a seller of a building, and it's an older gentleman. And he goes, I'd like to have a number. Nope. What does it make? So he gave me what it makes. And so when I have time, I go look at it, get an idea of what things trade for in that area, hit, the ca- hit it with cap, and send him an offer based on that. 
Yeah. And again, one of the challenges right now is if it's an underperforming building, he's got below market rents, he may be – you may say, well, I only want to pay a 5% cap rate, but this guy's rents are so low, I'm going to have to pay a lower cap rate. But you're going to know that you can raise the cap rate. So yeah. this right here is where most people get to with their understanding of cap rates. Yeah. If they're given a price and they're given an income, they can figure out the cap rate. Alternatively, if they're given an income, they can apply a cap rate and come to a value that they feel comfortable with. But for most people, that's where they tend to stop. Yeah. And I rarely come across needing this because the market dictates what the property is going to sell for even now at, at 20 units and so on. And you yep. and I are at the point in our business where we're not one of these large REITs that only looks looks at the short-term cash flow. We're looking big picture how to elevate the building and get lift. Yeah, exactly. I would say why, why this is important. Again, it depends on where you're at in your stages. It's, again, it's not necessarily super important on the small side. It's good to understand what's coming down the pipe. Once you go over the six unit per building kind of mark, you can start applying this. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, where it's become extremely important and where I end up playing with it a lot is when I'm looking at, okay, what is this building going to be worth to me? Correct. Once I've I've made it what it needs to be or within a year or two. I don't necessarily use it as much on the buy side, but I do use it a lot on the on the final takeout side because that's important. And so if you're good with your numbers, you can have a pretty good idea of what your building's going to be worth before you ever even buy it, right? You you kind of you should be able to do that. Uh, we talked about on the, on the Burr method a little bit, but you, you need to yeah. be able to make yeah. that projection of what it's going to be worth so you know that you're in the right spot. Yeah, we've always talked about the importance of exit strategy, exit strategy, exit strategy. And when yeah. we were doing the Burr method, there's the renovation side of things, yeah. but there's also the rent prediction. What is What are the rents going to be at the end? And then how do we predict a value based on that? Well, this is how. So what I want to talk about here today is more about the multiplier effect. And the multiplier is the inverse of the cap rate. So for example, we've already established that value is equal to the net operating income over your cap rate. And say the cap rate is 5%. As we know, 5%, some of you might need to brush up on your math, is 0 0.05 or 1 over 20, 1 20th. Hopefully everyone understands that. 5%, 0 0.05, which is 1 over 20. So we can rewrite this for our cap rate and say, well, value is equal to net operating income over our example cap rate of 1 over 20, 5%, which is another way of saying if you move this around, multiply both sides by 20, that value is equal to the net operating income times 20 over 1. Right? You flip your numerator and denominator when you're dividing by a fraction. Mm -hmm. Ooh, when's the last mm -hmm. time you heard that? Now, what this tells us is that a 5% cap means a 20 times multiplier. And this is why cap rates are important. All of this up here, this is this is some elementary stuff. This is the actual applicable. advanced, applicable, important information. Yep. So I've done an example here at a 5% cap rate means a 20 times multiplier. A 6% cap rate, and you might have these kind of ready off your top of your head, yep. yields a 16.67 cap rate. And a 4% cap rate is a 25 times multiplier. Sorry, I should have said 16.67 multiplier for a 6 cap and a 25 times multiplier for a four cap. What that means is in certain areas, if you have your net operating income and you apply a lower cap because it's in a great area, you are going to get a larger value. As we talked about that property in a very sought after location, offering a low cap at a high price. So there's that inverse relationship, which when you're buying sucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cap rates, cap rates stink until they're working in your favor. Exactly. I, uh, to double down, on this, because this is what you've done here, is you've basically like, how can I apply this without having to sit down with a spreadsheet? That's basically what you're trying mm -hmm. to do and make it applicable so your brain's thinking about really it when, quick. You're, yeah. when you're standing there. I'll take it one step further to get your NOI. 
So if I'm standing there and I'm trying to debate if the building's even worth it at the end, mm-hmm. I'll quickly be like, okay, if there's 10 units and I think they're each worth 1500 bucks, okay, it's $15,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Now you'd say, okay, t- times 12, subtract all your expenses. On average, a well-run building is going to run a 25% expense ratio. Yeah, or, I, or more. That's really good. Or, yeah. or yeah. more. If you're if you're having to pay for heat or things like that, it's 35%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? That's what it should be at when you're done your building and it's properly set up. So I assume that let's say I'm not paying heat. I would do just nine times because it's nine months instead of 12. That's 75%. So I do nine times of 15. That's 135,000. And then I would hit my multiplier on there. Okay, so I wanted a 5% cap times 20, $2.7 million. Yeah. So some of you might want to rewind Neil's math there. But what he was looking at is, okay, what if he doesn't know the net operating income? How can you rule of thumb your net operating income? And he provided some great points on there. If the tenants are paying for utility, you like to get the net operating income. um, You know, you want the expense to be 25%. So your net operating income is about 75% of revenue and then 35 or 65% if you're paying for, for more utilities. Yeah. So, the reason this becomes super important is, one, for looking at how you can lift a property, and two, for your refinance. Yes. Okay? Because once you know what the multiplier is for your particular building, you can quickly understand how to add value for your building. I'm going to give you three examples. Say you've got a property that brings in $80,000 of net operating income at 4% cap rate. We know the 4% cap rate means a 25 times multiplier. So that means 80K times 25 is a $2 million value. So that would be something in a real marquee location where, yes, your your cap rate's a little bit lower because you're in a good location, but you're going to get good appreciation. And as a result, the price of the property is higher. Now maybe you go to a, a neighborhood that's good but not as great, and there you apply a 5 times cap rate or 5% cap rate with – 20 times multiplier, that's a $1.6 million value. So these are two properties that are making the exact same amount of money, but because they have different cap rates are technically worth different values from a banking perspective or from an appraisal perspective. A huge amount, 20%. That's not a small amount for sure. Lastly, let's do another example. The same 80,000 net operating income at this time at a 6% cap rate, which means a 16.67 times multiplier. Now you're down to $1.34 million in value. So just the difference of 2% in cap rate takes you from $2 million to $1.34 million. I'm just going to put this out there. One thing I always thought of when I first started dealing with cap rates, when you're between kind of like 4 to 5%, that's your break-even point. And what I mean by that is typically, if you're using traditional financing, at a 4 to 5% cap rate, once you include your expenses, all that, and your mortgage, you're typically around break-even on a monthly basis. You're just mm-hmm. covering all your bills. After that, you start, okay, I have extra cash. Yeah. Uh, and below 4, you're definitely not cash flowing. Yeah, and this is interesting to think of like, okay, you know, maybe I, I've got a product if I'm talking to my appraiser and saying, okay, I've got a product right now that's not great, it needs some renovations, and you're telling me it's it's worth $1.34 million because I'm a 6% cap, what if I renovated the units? What if I redid the exterior? What if I improved the systems of the building, the heating, the roof, so on? Could you justify giving me a lower cap? And they will. They will give you a lower cap, and as soon as they start creeping you down from 6 down to 5, the value of your building goes up. And this is what's really, really important is understanding that relationship between your cap rate and your end value. Because as we talked about in the Burr method, you know, if you're looking for an exit strategy, it's a heck of a lot easier 
to pull money out of a $2 million property than it is to pull money out of a $1.34 million property. That's a lot of extra equity. So when you're trying to raise your value, and if we return way up here to value equals net operating income over your cap rate, in order to increase the value, you either need to do, well, you need to do one of two things, either increase your income or lower your cap rate. Increasing income is rental increases. The only way really to improve your cap rate is just make a better building. Anything you can add to that? How, how do you get a lower cap rate when you're trying to- So I was going to say, there, there's a few ways that's, that, that you can get a lower cap rate. Chandler touched on some obvious ones like cleaning up the building, doing some renovation outside. This is one that I don't know a lot of people know necessarily. People that are in the industry probably do, but amenity spaces. Uh, and I've seen this happen where a little bit bigger buildings, but they had a studio apartment and he actually ripped out the studio apartment and turned it into a gym room. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And so put in the gym room, realistically, no one's really using it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I think it probably dropped his cap by 0.25. And when you multiply it over whatever enormous amount of rent he was making, yep. it worked out that it boosted his value by a few million bucks and it cost him $8,000 to put together this little gym room. And it's counterintuitive because you say, well, gosh, he's ripping out an apartment, that means he's Income not- Income-producing apartment. Exactly. He's, he's losing that money, that rental income month to month, but he now has a building that is amenitized, it has a gym, and that lowers the cap rate, which means his building becomes worth more. Other things might be uh, storage lockers, yep. in-unit laundry versus concierge, all, all of these things to, to essentially say that your building is a higher quality building and as such deserves a lower cap rate. The other thing that happens over time is I had buildings that when I first got them, I was hard pressed to convince the appraiser that it its cap rate should be under 6.5. And now because the area has just improved so much around me, yep. um, the building hasn't changed all that much, but the cap rate I can get from my bank is low fives. And yep. as you can see here, that's a very significant change just based on cap rate, not even talking about my income, just based on cap rate, the building has, has skyrocketed in value. 100%. But what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the next level. So understanding what they are, that's kind of, you know, for beginners, this little idea of the multiplier effect and how those cap rates impact your value of the property is the next level. But here we're going to talk about the takeout and really raising the value of your property, allowing you to potentially refinance and do this all again. Okay, so I, before we go there, I got yep. one more thing I want to talk about cap rates. Go for it. Specifically. Actually, I got two things. First thing being cap rates are get used a lot. A lot of appraisers may assign different ones. So even though an area may have what's considered an accepted cap rate, you may find appraisers that are willing to go a little lower mm -hmm. or some might only be willing to go a little higher. Yep. Uh, so you need to keep that in mind. You also need to understand the credibility of the appraiser because banks may not accept what they put on there. Totally. And banks may want to apply their own. Uh, they A lot of times now what I'm seeing is a struggle, especially on the lower cap rates, is the banks don't really care. They're like, I don't care that this area is trading in a 3.5%. We want a DSR, so a debt service ratio of this from this building. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so you won't. they won't give you necessarily 75% financing on that building, they'll say, it doesn't matter. It could be appraised for 400 million bucks. We're looking at it as worth 300 million and we're only going to give you 75% of that. So always keep in mind uh, when you're doing it, work with your bank a little bit to understand before because you might do this and you say, what the frig? I went through this whole process. I followed mm -hmm. Neil and Chandler's advice. I bought this building. I did all my math perfectly. I used their cap rate calculator. My end value was two million bucks. I went to the bank and they said, "No, nah, we're only going to land at one point eight. And the big thing too is is if you don't have the rents to support the new loan that they're going to give you, they're not going to give you that loan. Like you can yeah. say, based on the cap rate, it's worth this, and they say, "Well, that's great," but based on you know you carrying this mortgage, we're not prepared to give you that much money. 
frequently the people that are able to get full refinances at a sub 4% cap or even anywhere around there typically have other properties that are additionally that are cash flowing that gives the bank confidence that you'll be able to consistently make that payment. Yeah. Because if you're buying something at a 4% cap and there is some economic turmoil, you could be, unless you have a way to make those extra payments, you could be hurting. Yeah. And a good example would be that building that I mentioned. I had moved from around a 6% cap down to a 5% cap, but without my rent increasing, if my rent's the same, the bank's not just going to inherently give me all this more money. I can argue that I've got that extra equity in there and they'll give me some of it, but they likely won't give the full amount if the rents don't support that, Yeah, which is why we move to this next point. Okay. So in this example here where we're making 80,000 of net operating income per unit, and we've seen what that yields at 4% cap, 5%, 6% cap. Let's just pretend this is a 20 unit building. Okay. So Neil, which one of these cap rates do you want to use here for this next little example? Let's do a five cap. 5% super. I love using 5% because the multiplier is easy. It's a 20 times multiplier. So we've got 20 units. Let's say we increase the rent by really modest $25 a month. All right. $25 a month times, of course, the 12 months and then times the 20 units. Mm -hmm. So you're 25 times 12 times 20. You got the mental math. 6K. 6K, You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So the result is the the net operating income increases by $6,000. So now you've got a net operating income of 86,000, right? Yep. Boom. Doesn't seem like a huge deal. We're talking $25 a month, making you an extra $6,000 a year. That's not a big deal. That, that's not going to change your life, Neil. No. Nope. But now we look at the cap rate. And what do we know? At 5%, the cap rate has a multiplier of 20 times. So that $6,000 modest increase actually raised the value of your building by? 120K. 120K. Boom. Now, even if you struggled with all of this math, I pretty much guarantee everyone can tell me that if the $25 a month increase increased the value of my building by $120,000, how much would a $50 rent increase increase the value of this building? Hmm, 120 <laughs> times 240K, let's go. Rack it up. So at $50 a month increase for the 20 units, You've just increased the building by $240,000. And why does that matter? Well, then when you go back and you borrow 75% loan to value, in theory, you could get 75% of that $240,000 back out. In the inverse, if rents are going down. (laughs) If rents go down, the same math works in the opposite direction, (laughs) right? And this isn't, I mean, a lot of people are going to be enraged when they see that and be like, that's why they're raising the rents because they're making so much money. They raise this little bit. It does protect your investment. And as Neil correctly alluded, in the event that things go the opposite way, you have that same risk. And that's how you can be, quote unquote, over leveraged on a building. And to be honest, it's quite common when a building is brand new, your best rent, it happens on the first lease. When you go to release it, frequently you have to drop it. Of course, this market where we're having such a pinch, it's not happening like that. But there's been many times, many years, for lots of times in the past, where you rent it at a thousand bucks when it was freshly built, then you go to release it. Okay, I got to drop it to nine forty five, eight ninety five, because mm-hmm. now it's dinged up. These aren't the most modern pieces of material, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, or and there's new there's new stock on market. And so, again, we're going through an inflationary period where we've been, again, able to consistently increase. But when this reverts to normal, there's a strong opportunity that we're going to have to drop the rent or you now need to sink in 
$40,000 or $20,000 into the unit to be able to reassume that top rent. Yeah. So here's a hypothetical scenario. You buy an underperforming building where the rents are $700 a month and the place is in disrepair. You sink all of this equity in and you're really excited because the end result is going to be a $1,300 a month unit. So you're raising the rents by a significant amount. You're also lowering your cap rate because you're taking it from a C-class building to an A-class building. And at the end, you've got this really great top of the market valuable property, and you can pull out a lot of equity. But that unit is new for only one tenant. Mm -hmm. And as Nick, uh, Neil rightly points out, once it gets damaged, you could find that rent flat lines for a considerable amount of time while your expenses creep up. So if your expenses are going up, that means your net operating income is going down, and all of a sudden you're once again shrinking the value of your property. So you can't overextend this method, but it's incredibly important to understand. Exactly. I was going to say the other thing, like like on a 20 unit like that, yeah, you're, in, you're like we were talking about, your insurance probably went up a few thousand bucks. You probably, instead of going from 80 to 86, you're probably more like 80 to 83 or 84. Yeah, which is why, a couple reasons. This is why, one, you don't need to obsess over making huge strides once you have a, uh, a good building. You can actually keep rent fairly sustainable while also increasing the value of your property. Um, but it's also why, even when this equity is here, you need to be mindful of overextending one, the debt service ratios we always already talked about, you still have to pay that money off. It's not just, hey, sweet, I got this refinance, this money's in my pocket, I'm rich now. It's like, no, you have to pay that off. Um, and additionally, it, it could change over time. So you, you have to be careful of how far to extend it. But this is why cap rates are important. This other stuff, whatever, that, that's, that's child's play. This is why it matters on the outtake. This is also why having more doors is strength. Yep. Why getting to true multis above six units as early as possible is very, very important because you can take that duplex and you can raise the rent by a hundred bucks on each side. It's not really going to change the value of your property if it's mainly determined just by the other homes around you. Yep. However, in commercial, this is where the value is. True multis above six unit, it's rent cap rates, net okay. operating income cap rates over and over and over again. And say you had this, this is just 20 units, 20 units, a $50 increase got you $240,000 of equity. Imagine if you had 2,000 units. You're just moving that decimal place down the line off very modest rental increases. And Big that time. is why cap rates are so awesome. <laughs> I love cap rates. I Tanner, do you have any questions about cap rates? You've been Are you over there this? checking my math? This is kind of a little more off the cuff. And again, it's a visual thing, so hopefully people can watch the YouTube episode as well. I trust yeah. your math. Okay. I think that was pretty in-depth. I think that might go over a few people's heads. Yeah. That's why there's a rewind button. Exactly. That's why we wanted to put it out there so they can check into it. two or three times. I'm not going to complain. Any questions for you looking at this? You're like, hmm. No, I mean, you explained it pretty well. You explained all the steps pretty individually, so. So what's the cap rate of your four-bedroom house? All of of his rooms are rented. Oh, really? Yeah. Are they? They're they're not anymore. Well, they were at one point. They were at one point. I don't know what the cap rate of my house is. It also stresses the idea of know your numbers. <laughs> Got to know your numbers, Tanner. <laughs> but this is important. For example, we, we started off talking about how I'm scaling up to do this build, this project. Yeah. Right? And one of the things that they want, they being the lender, is to know what all of my real estate is worth. Yeah. And if I haven't had a recent appraisal on one of my properties, I may not know right now exactly what that property is going to be worth. But with this simple idea, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go – Pull my expenses. I know what my net operating income. I know what my cap rate there that I can push. Boom, multiplier effect. I know exactly what my building can appraise for. Am I going to take that equity out? Maybe, maybe not. 
but I know what I can produce an appraisal for to then support my net worth as I go onto this application to do something else. Like, look at this simple thing. Whether you take this money in hand or just increase your net worth, yeah, th- that's incredible. It adds your boring strength. It, it lets you be creative. And we're talking small rental amounts. This is why more doors, the sooner the better. Now. Yes, Neil. They've gotten all up to speed on cap rates. Okay. They understand them. Good. He got an NOI from this gentleman that lives in his in his town for a four unit building. A four unit or four D? Four D, sorry. Okay. Four unit building. He threw the cap against it. He or she. They now have a number they want to offer this person. They go and offer it. And the guy's like, No. I want X. Yeah. And again, this is becoming more and more common now. This is super I, common. I had I literally the meeting I came from to here is he just kept saying to me, he's like, the cap rate does not it was for three hundred units. And he goes, the cap rate doesn't support it, and I don't care. Mm -hmm. And he goes, this is my number, and take it or leave it. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate in two ways. I mean, obviously, sometimes it's it's okay, and you kind of have to be like, I understand. I'm going to be able to get this sort of work done and get the rents to where they need to be to get the cap rate to where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, though, the problem that you can face is the financing. Hundred percent. Because a bank, they're going to be like, we do care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then you're in a position where you might have to put down 30, 35%. Um, but yeah, that was, it's, you, a lot of people are going to be like, so this is what they always do. In a market like this, where it's been so aggressive, especially in HRM, people I think have lost touch with the cap rates. I see a, a lot of things 100% trading on the buy, 100%. No, on the buy side yep. that cap rates make no darn sense. Yep. And you have to, I've said this with people before, you are paying in a lot of cases for the opportunity. In this market, you're paying for the rarity of the opportunity. Yep. So there was a building in Dartmouth that was traded that on cap rate was like 2.6%. Yep. But it was a really, really well-maintained building in a rock-solid area. And the only deficiency there was from a management perspective. Not that it was mismanaged, but that the rents were below market. They never up the rents. So you could easily envision a situation of how to get from where it is to where – it should be. So it's being offered at a 2.6% cap. You know that it could yield um, a, well, at that price, you, you know that it could actually yield more like a 6% cap. Yeah. And the work to get there wasn't that bad. So maybe you justify paying more based on the end value. This is all about exit strategy and we are in a heightened market. So you have to pay. I mean, the property that I'm buying right now, this eight unit, I don't even know what the cap rate is, but it, it is low, low, low. I just know the end product can justify cap rate around five, and I know how to get there, and I know that what the building will be worth at the end. But certainly, I'm throwing the existing cap rate effectively out the, out the window. What you're mentioning, though, is that the bank is not going to do that. The bank's at least going to want to see something, you know, the appraiser is going to have to justify some sort of cap rate and explain to the bank why that is supported. And the bank may say, well, rather than doing this conventional 75, 25 that, that we were going to do, we want you to put down 30% or 35%. Yep. Um, in order to lessen their exposure, so. I had I had one in a great great location uh, where things trade for over three hundred a door. We were only paying two hundred and some out a door, uh, which is still below market there. But the rents were so low that m- my clients had to put down fifty percent. Fifty, yeah, fifty percent. Like, look at that. Right. And, it, and it so it makes it. Then you really got to wonder yep. sometimes if, if it that has a huge impact. Even though there's that that lift there, you got to think. Wait a second. If I'm putting down fifty percent, could I go buy two places? Well, that's and like, achieve this this lift on those two, and then yeah. have a better setup. Yeah, um, that one, the very first place I bought, we talked about that, and, and I'd put thirty five percent down on that because even though it was a great deal, 
the rents were so low that they made me put down 35%. So the only way you can rationalize it is if you can see the bigger picture. And this is also why sometimes the cap rates, when you're purchasing, you can't overanalyze the deal. It's like when someone comes to me with a duplex and they're starting to quote the cap rates, like on a duplex, it doesn't apply. Six unit applies a bit. But really, you're, you're paying for the opportunity in this market. What could it be worth? If yeah. you understand cap rates so well, let's run a scenario when the rents here are market. Maybe the market yeah. rents there are 1500 Yeah. Then tell me what it's worth then. Well, can you take it from the, the 350 that you're paying now that you think is overpriced, but it's going to be worth 600 Can you get there for 150 grand? Because then that's a buy. Yeah. Right? If you can get there for 150 and then carry the, the, the new mortgage, then that's a buy. 100%. So there cap you are, rates. cap rates. Anything I left out, Neil? You're a math guru, math savant. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but I, uh, yeah, no, I think I think you covered. It. I think some people might have some questions. I'm really trying to think what uh, what people would be thinking about. I think like maybe the NOI for some people will be a little bit tough. But again, I think we really do, like we're going to get the website going. We're going to start putting some of that on there, so people have a kind of a place to reference back to. Um, and obviously, if you're just listening, it's a little bit more difficult to follow it all. That's why we we do have a visual aid here. But um, yeah, so I think we get that on there. But I think we really did cover everything, and we understand why like little rent increases are helpful. One thing I want to put out there is it with this rent freeze, and this is something I'm talking to with a lot of bigger mm-hmm. landlords. Um, they are now like, okay, well, I have to make rent increases now, whether it's two percent or whatever it is. I always have to make my rent increase um, because I never know when they could possibly put in a rent freeze. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in a position where I financially need to access equity in my buildings, for example, if that building has a sewer pipe failure and that's $50,000 and he doesn't have $50,000 of cash, they might need to access that money in their property, but because they haven't done a rent increase, the equity's not there to do so, and now they're, they're hooped. Um, yeah. And so, so now everyone's like, well, now I have to consistently always do these rent increases in the event that I need to, to access my capital or need to make a sale or something like that. Well, t- to your point, one of the properties that I'm getting reappraised right now through this net worth you know, trying to get a, a really good statement of accounts. He said, Chandler, your rents are, are too low. I'm like, I don't think so. Those are pretty good rents. He's like, I'm not saying they're way too low. It's like, but you realize if you were $50 higher per unit here, which you easily could be, and in fact, your newer tenants are fifty more than $50 higher than your older tenants. It's like, if all of these rents were up $50 based on my cap rate in that building and, and so on, it's like the building would be worth around $150,000 more than it's worth right now, Chan. Like, do you realize that? I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like that, that is a lot of money when you're looking at your net worth to, to leave on the table, mm-hmm. right? And that's a pretty modest increase. And now I'm in a situation where I'm trying to navigate this rent controlled, you know, the threat of rental control as someone who doesn't typically raise their rents for good long-term tenants. Yep. I've let some people there for a long time and now they're asking me, and it's a genuine question of what am I going to do when the rent freeze is over? And I'm asking myself what I'm going to do because I don't fully know. I want to have freedom over my business, and I need to be able to access equity in case of emergency. So what I'm doing, and, and I was thinking, do I need to do a big increase? Do I need to do this? Well, then I realized I just applied a rent increase of 40 to $50 across all of my units, yep. and the amount that it grew my overall net worth was huge. Yep. Right, you take that and you apply it across, you know, we did 20 units here. You apply that to 50-odd units, it's like, oh, my gosh, like this is a real significant amount with a small rental increase. So it allows me to keep my tenants, you know, in a comfortable situation, give them some predictability while also protecting my investment with a relatively small rent increase. Yeah. 
That makes sense. And that that's again, that's the game. Um, one other thing I'm going to touch on as well, and this will be this will be a future episode, but going over CMHC and how the whole CMHC process works. Um, and I mean that not for purchasing a home with 5% down. I mean doing a refinance maybe at 85%. Mm-hmm. Um, so this we've talked about. We've always kind of suggested you can get 75% out of a property. This is really good because it gives you your value. Your DSRs are great. Uh, with CMHC on multi-units, you have the opportunity to take that to 85%. They lower your rate and increase your amortization. So your mm-hmm. payment and your DSR, your servicing ratio stays the same. Um, but on the flip side, when they're looking at your NOI, they do your NOI. They hammer you on expenses. They have their own expense sheet yep. that they utilize to create that. So there's you, there's a lot of nuances within this, and there's yep. some things that can change. But this is, I'd say, a broad overview of of how the system works and where it's really valuable and how to apply it and be quick with it, uh, so you can look at a property and know, okay, yes, versus every time having to bust out a full yeah. breakdown. Yeah. So hopefully people understand this. Again, if you're listening, please click on the YouTube video. We've got this whiteboard up here and it's really helpful. I think the thing people will be challenged a little bit with is understanding, you know, <laughs> flipping the numerator and the denominator. That's the old school yeah. math dividing by a fraction. But if you can get past that and understand the power of the multiplier, then you will really appreciate cap rates. Big time. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We're starting to get some feedback. I think in person more so we're getting some text yeah, messages yeah. and some Neil's uh, getting recognized on the town. emails. Yeah, getting recognized in the town. Um, but yeah, if you guys, anyone like, like, comment, subscribe, which I know is cheesy, but definitely would love it, the support. Um, and, and like, let us know with any questions. We, we want questions. We want some feedback. Uh, we try, like on TikTok, we got a lot of feedback. We try and make video responses. Uh, if you want to see bills, like we'll, we'll try and make it as transparent yeah. as possible. Um, so yeah. Anyways, thanks again for listening. Yep. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the next one. Later. Bye.